All right, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. Welcome. Glad to be with you this morning. It's always a good time to come down to Athens, and this is the first time I've been here at this place since uh, been a little, little, uh, little uh, renovation uh, with, the, with the new chairs, so that's exciting uh, to be a part of that. I'm sure that was a, a fun adventure in and all of itself. But uh, no, grateful to be here, and as Joe said, my name is Buzz, and I do work for Send Network. We work with a bunch of different churches all throughout North America um, and helping start churches, plant churches, all that fun stuff. Um, so I, I reside in Columbus with my wife, Beth, and she is back there. And our two daughters are also here with us. Uh, they are Anna and Naomi. They are three and one. So we are uh, glad to be here. Always, Like I said, always a fun time to be able to come down here to Athens and to be a part of what is taking place here. And I praise God for what has been taking place here over the last, really, well, year, but even longer before that, um, and Joe and his family and his team coming down here and starting this church, and then and Caleb and, and Abby coming along and, and, and helping out with, with this place, and so we're really excited about what the Lord is doing um, in the city of Athens and the county and really what's happening here in southeastern Ohio. Um, and I'm also grateful for the way that you guys um, do your preaching in the sense of working through books of the Bible um, and how you just kind of chronologically work through that. I, I feel like there's so much value in it when it comes to people of the church learning from preaching on Sunday and the teaching that comes from it. As you work through bio, the Bible chronologically, you really learn how to read the Bible. And I think there's so much to that uh, when it comes to uh, people within the church learning about what it, how, how, do, how do we read our Bibles and, and how do we apply it to our lives. And so hopefully we'll be able to, to do that today. Um, so I know two weeks ago you guys were in Genesis 6, so what comes next is Genesis 7, okay? And uh, this is an interesting passage. Um, I know two weeks ago was interesting, but this is, this is, this is kind of everything kind of working together. But, but I've kind of titled this, this message, God's judgment and God's sovereignty. So just try to stay with me here. You know, the beauty of, of working through books of the Bible is the Bible sets the message that is to be preached. And, and, and my goal today is, is for the, the, the main point of what the passage we're looking at today will be the main point of the message, okay? And, and I believe that to be God's judgment and God's sovereignty uh, through it all. So one of the greatest disasters of my lifetime occurred on December, 20, or December 26th of 2004. Uh, it was described as the Boxing Day Tsunami. And if, uh, if you were alive and, and knew kind of what was going on, you probably know where I'm, I'm heading with this. So it was a tsunami that took place, and a tsunami is a displacement of water that is caused um, by a large event, typically an earthquake, uh, and a large body of water. This earthquake on December 26th of 2004 registered a 9.2 on the Richter scale, which is the third largest ever uh, in recording history, which started at the beginning of the 20th century is when they started to be able to record those. The location was was the Burma, Burma and Indian Plate. Um, it's part of the Indian Ocean, right off the, the coast of Indonesia. Um, some of the waves grew up to 100 feet tall in some of the cases. Um, you know where the Indian Ocean is, there's many different countries there, and it devastated 
many parts of the Indian Ocean, um, the coastlines, all those different areas. In fact, 14 countries were impacted by this tsunami um, that took place. They say around 230,000 people were killed when this happened. And even triggered, <laughs> this is kind of crazy, triggered earthquakes off, off of uh, the coast of uh, Alaska. That's how far that this, 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 uh, this took place. It released energy up to equivalent to 1,500 atomic bombs and was noticed as far as South Africa, the waves from the tsunami. It was 5,300 miles away off the coast of South Africa. This was a terrible event. This was a horrible event. And there was nothing that anything or anyone could do about it. God was in control the whole time, and he was sovereign through it all. And so why do I tell you this, this story of a, a horrible event? A horrible, I mean, just, just, just terrible. I mean, it, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was bad. But I tell you this, this, this story to remind us, as bad as this was, and it was, nothing in all creation is like what we are about to talk about today, as is the flood of, of, of Genesis 7. Not, nothing remotely close to what we're about to talk about today. And there's been f- even far greater things that have taken place uh, outside of this tsunami that we talked about in 2004. But I say all of this to say that do we talk about this event correctly when it comes to the flood? Do we, do we view it correctly? Do we understand what is taking place here and why it is happening? You know, this story, this is not Noah's Ark and the animals that, that you and some of us played with as, as a child, right? Uh, this is much different. And I was reminded of that, I think, while, while studying this, this passage, um, of the power of God. Um, and it shows us a little bit about us as humans and humanity. And so God's justice is a real thing. And today we are talking about just that. So we're going to start in verse 1 here in Genesis 7, and we'll work our way through the whole chapter. So just follow along with me, and we'll read verses 1 through 10 to start. It says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground, two and two, male and female, went into the ark, and Noah, as God had commanded Noah, and after seven days the waters of the flood came upon the earth. So this is God's judgment kind of planned out. He's kind of, kind of showing us, hey, this, this is what's going gonna, what's gonna to happen here. And I think when we look at this passage, we ask the question, how could God, how could a loving God do such a thing? And I, and I do think that's a, that's a fair question to ask. 
But as we look at the flood today, I want, I want to kind of humble ourselves before the Lord and ask this question to you. How could a just God not do such a thing? How could a just God not do such a thing? And I think when we come to this passage, Christians, non-Christians, we think, we think automatically that we deserve the ark and not the flood. All right, we come to this passage and we think automatically we deserve the ark and not the flood. And I think if we really understand what the gospel message is, and if we know the gospel, we deserve the flood long before we deserve the ark. And I think that helps us understand what our sin is and what our sin does. Verse 1 tells us that there was, there was Noah, and we learned, or you learned two weeks ago, that Noah was righteous and he walked with God. Um, God tells us again that Noah, Noah was a righteous man. And really the only reason that God chooses Noah to do this, he chooses him to do this, this job, was because that Noah was found righteous in, in the Lord and, and nobody else. And really, that, that really starts from, from the grace of God, that, that Noah is found righteous, but we see here that Noah's righteousness and, and Noah's, or God's choosing of Noah does not serve him. Okay? Noah's righteousness, not, righteousness does not keep him healthy, does not make his life easier for him. <laughs> Noah's righteousness saved him, and then what does God do with him? He puts him to work. It's reminded in Ephesians chapter 2, very well-known verses Uh, Chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, it says that, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Verse 10, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is, this, is, this is the Lord at work. It is by God's grace that Noah had been saved. It is by God's grace that, that you in this room, that our believers are, are, have been saved. And it's not by anything that you do. You bring absolutely nothing to the table. But God's not done with us after he has saved us, right? He sanctifies us and he puts us to work. Verse 10, right here, it says that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And this isn't a surprise to God because he knows that these things have been done before the foundation of the earth was even created. God prepared these things beforehand. He knew that Noah was to be the man called to do these things. The gospel does not make life easier. It does not make life a way to coast into it. You, you even look at the Bible. Look at, look at the, new, the, the, the people in the New Testament. Right? Peter, that guy was, was beat up. He was, many historians say he was crucified upside down. Didn't want to be crucified right way up because he didn't feel like he deserved the death that Jesus had to die. Paul, and all throughout his letters, we see him talk about some of the the sufferings and trials and tribulations that he goes through continuously. Uh, I think specifically, look at uh, his second uh, letter to the, the book of Corinthians. Do you know 11 out of the 12 disciples they were martyred. Many historians believe that, theologians think that they were martyred for their death outside of, of, of John who was put on a, 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 an island by himself, uh, isolated. And so I, I say this all to say is that man, if, if the Lord has saved us, 
he is, he's not saved us just to save us, but to use us in the kingdom to make an impact in the world. And I think it's incredibly biblical, and I think we see this here with Noah. And if you think about it, as you guys talked about two weeks ago, Noah's building this, this, this ark, and he has got to look like a fool, right? He has really got to look like a fool if he is, if he is building this, this ark here, this massive boat. And now he's got seven days. He's got seven days to gather his family and all these animals that God had asked him to do. Noah's life did not get easier or better. It got harder, and God used him to save some of those things as he was about to wipe out everything on earth. But verse 4 tells us that even though it says that he's about to wipe out everything, he does save some. And there are some on the ark, and he is just and righteous to do so. And here's what I love about Noah. He did all that the Lord had asked him to do. We see that really through verses, verses 6 through 10. Noah spent those seven days doing all of it. There's not a lot of easy coasting rest in that, but he was faithful to the calling that God had placed upon his life. He did all that the Lord commanded him. He did not do some of it. He did not, did not do most of it. He did every little bit and every little detail. He did not cut corners on this. He took God's calling upon his life incredibly seriously, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from that. So that part's God's judgment played out, or uh, planned out. Now we're going to look at God's judgment played out. So we're going to look at verses 11 through 16, if you want to follow along with me. So in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventh day, 17th day of the month, and on the day of all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were open, and rain fell upon the earth forty days and forty nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, and the wives of the sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast according to its kind, and all the livestock according to their kind, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, every winged creature. And they went into the ark with Noah, two and two, and all the flesh in which there, were, was, uh, what there was breath of the life. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went, went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. So I think this here tells us that this is, this is true history that takes place. This is the detail of when it happens. And we don't necessarily know what the second month of the year uh, meant. Uh, we do not know necessarily what that means or the purpose for it per se. But typically, typically when there's this much information uh, said about a specific time period, years and months and dates, we know, I think we know, that something catastrophic is about to take place. Okay, when there's this much detail in the Bible about that. So what happens? So it says the fountains of the deep came forth, they broke through, the windows of the heaven were, were completely open. So what's happening here is this, is this is God uncreating the earth. This is God uncreating the earth. You look at Genesis 1, 6 through 7, 
where there was just water upon the earth at this point in time. There was no land, there was no creatures, there was no life. There was just water. And here we see that God is uncreating what he had created. And he's showing us at this point in time that he is starting over. Okay, he is starting over here. In verses 13 through 16, just, just, some more, just more detail of retelling what Noah, uh, what Noah was to do. Noah and his family, so we see creatures two by two. We see his sons. We see their sons' wives. They're all coming in. And something really interesting, and I don't want us to miss it here as we work it through this kind of quickly, but verse 16, at the end of verse 16, it says, watch this. It says that the Lord had shut him in. Noah did not shut himself in. The Lord had shut him in. And I think this is where we see the picture of God's sovereignty over this whole situation that is taking place. This is God's will being done. And really, if you look at this, that God is the initiator from the beginning until the end. He's in control of the whole thing. Not just this story, but all of the Bible. We really need to have a, I think at least, we need to have a high view of God's sovereignty. I think this is a great place in the Bible that we can see it here of God working where he's, he's telling Noah to do all these different things, and Noah is obedient to it, but God is sovereign through it all. All right, let's pick up in verses, verse 17. We'll read through the rest of the passage. Verse 17 says that the flood continued 40 days on earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creepy things and birds of the heavens. They blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So this is the wrath of God played out. We see that everything is blotted out. Every living creature is gone. Every person is gone. The only thing left at this point are eight human beings and the animals on the boat. And this is God's, this is a display of God's wrath. And like I said before, we have not seen anything like this before in all of human history. And I do think, I know we're kind of in this weird part here, but I do think it is important that we do not see the importance of what is taking place here when it comes to the wrath of God. Because I do feel like the wrath of God is not something that is, that is very welcomed in churches today. And who knows, maybe this will be the last time you guys see me here. But, 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 but I, I do think that this is important. And I, and I know it, it, it's kind of this, this negative aspect. But, but I do think that, um, I do think that, 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 that churches do not talk about this or maybe not say it publicly or whatever, but they, they do not want to admit to it because of the negativity. But, but I want us to, to, to understand this, um, that God does punish people, and that sin is, there is some severity 
to sin. And some people that, that, that call themselves Christians would say that, that God would not punish people. There is no such thing as, as a etern, eternal separation from God or eternal destruction from God. And I just don't see that in the Bible, if we really believe that it is, it is true. This word is authoritative. It is without error. It is complete truth, and it is sufficient. One of the most impactful books that I had read, specifically right after I graduated from college, was a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Um, It is a phenomenal read, and what I like about it is it is readable. It's high-level theological views of who God is, but it's a very readable book. And it was originally written in 1973, and it's still being published, and, and, and new revised vis- uh, versions come out. So almost 50 years ago, uh, Packer wrote this, and it's still a, 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 you could call it a Christian classic today that you know, he passed away, I think, two or three years ago. But in reading Packer's book, for the first time, I was a young Christian, uh, I became, came to uh, Christ in college, and really from one of the first times I, I saw a glimpse of, of what the wrath of God really was. And he, he paints just a great picture of that. And has anybody ever read Knowing God? Anybody in the room? Familiar? Okay, we've got a couple, a couple hands. Okay. So, so, so I love this quote that, that Packer says about the wrath of God. We're also going to get to the grace of God here, so just stay with me. Okay. So Packer says this. He says, To an age in which has unashamedly sold itself to the gods of greed, pride, sex, and self-will. The church mumbles on about God's kindness, but says virtually nothing about his judgment. The fact is that the subject of divine wrath has become taboo in modern society, and Christians by and large have accepted the taboo and conditioned themselves to never raise this matter. This was written 50 years ago. And look where we are at today. And I think these, these words are, are so, so true, even more maybe now than what they were nearly 50 years ago. And so I want us to understand that the wrath of God is an attribute of God. And it's an important one, but it's not the only one. It's not the only one. There, there, are, there are much more to it. But I think we need to, to, to really understand the gospel. I think this is incredibly important, to really understand the gospel and what we're saved from. If we do not understand the wrath of God, we really do not understand the grace of God. Okay, if we do not understand the wrath of God, we really do not understand the grace of God. We do not understand fully what, what, we are, what, what, what sin does and what the punishment for sin is. Earlier in Packer's book, on his chapter on the grace of God, so here we go, he says, The grace of God is love freely shown towards guilty sinners contrary to their merit and indeed in defiance of their demerit. God showing goodness to persons who deserve only severity and had no reason to accept anything but severity. Now we have to ask, why should this thought mean so much to others? The answer, the answer is not far to seek. Indeed, it is evident from what, we have already been, or what has already been said. It is surely clear once a person is convinced that his state and need are as described in the New Testament, gospel of grace cannot be swept, or cannot be uh, cannot but sweep him off his feet with wonder and joy, 
It tells how our judge has become our Savior. It tells how our judge has become our Savior. That is the grace of God. If we really know what grace is, we cannot earn it. It is a free gift given to us. Like, Piper, or like Packer says, it doesn't depend on, on, on us and our, and our merits, but the merit of God and essentially Christ's merits. And so do we understand grace? And do we understand what we deserve as sinful people who were born in this world, lost, knowing our state as separated from God and deserving wrath? I think when we understand that we deserve it, and it sums up a new gratefulness to God and how he has shown us grace and, and what we deserve. And, and if you are here today and you do not know Christ and you do not have a relationship with God and you are in need of a Savior, Jesus does offer that to us. Jesus and Jesus alone can save us for, from our sins. He is the only thing that can cure us from our greatest disease in the world. Why is that? Well, because he lived a perfect life, he died a sacrificial death, he defeated hell, death, and the grave, and he took our place so that we do not take upon the wrath of God and the judgment that is for us. And because of that, we can be in right relationship with him. If you trust in Jesus' payment on the cross and you believe and put your faith in him, believing that he did those things and believing that he is enough to take away your sin, I would encourage you to really think about that, to really ponder and think about if you are without Christ, you are uh, in judgment of, of God. God doesn't look on Jesus as a perfect, righteous gift. He looks upon you as having sin in your life. And I know that we've spent a lot of time on this destruction piece when it comes to the flood, but, but also realize, realize this, that, that God does save some. God does save some, and he does want to preserve people in his creation. All right, that's an important piece, that God does save some. He wants to preserve people in his creation. And, and if he did not, this would be the end of the story. This would be the end of the Bible. There would be seven chapters in all of the Bible if this was it, and, and God didn't have a plan. And, and that, that just gives me so much hope, I think, if we think about it, that, that you know, you know I have my, my, we have this, this, this would be it, right? But, but praise be to God. We've got, we've got all this that helps us and shows us so much more. He didn't have to do it. But he did. And so I think that's, a, that's, a, that's also a key focus that, that, to, to really look at, that God does want to preserve us and does want to preserve his humanity as well. So Christian in the room, church, people in this room that, that are followers of Jesus, what do we do with a text like this? This is kind of our application point and kind of three things that, 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 that I kind of came up with. I think from this that derives from the text, but I think can be helpful. But one, I think believe, believe that this text is, or that, yeah, that this text is something that literally did happen. That God did wipe out all of humanity. And I know there's a lot of debates about different. Was this a regional flood? Was this? Was this? I think from what the text says, 
This, this, this was not a regional thing. This was God and, and, and rain and water, and it covered all of the earth. Like I said, this is God uncreating what he had created, that he had created. And so we, we believe and we stand on this truth. We do not just pick and choose what we want to believe in the Bible. We believe that it's all true. We trust it by faith, and I think there's good reason to do that. So number one, believe. Secondly, two, understand that God's wrath is, is real, and it is destined for those who do not know Christ. When, some, when someone lives a life not trusting in Christ, they take upon their own punishment and the wrath of God. But those in Christ, Christ takes upon the punishment and wrath of God for those who believe in him. And there are major consequences for this life and for the life to come. And I think we have to ask the question, is this true? Does the Bible speak of this? The people separated from Jesus spend eternity separated from him. I think it is very clear. And so we have, to, we have to come to this text and we have to say, do we believe that that is true? And do we understand God's wrath? And I think number, this, this kind of leads into number three, and I think it's incredibly important. What do we do with this, with this text? We, third, we proclaim. We proclaim, that the go- or we proclaim the gospel to the lost because first and foremost, you love God, and secondly, because you love people that are made in the image of God. We are to be ambassadors, ambassadors for the, uh, for the, uh, in the world, ambassadors for Christ in the world as we live for him. And we to continue to proclaim the gospel and pray for the lost. Matthew 24, verses 37 through 39 says, For just as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until that day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. We don't know fully when Jesus is coming back, but we know that he is coming back. We're about to celebrate communion here in a little bit, and I'll talk a little bit more about that. But we celebrate communion in remembrance of him, waiting upon the day of when the Lord will return. And we do that. We celebrate this, the, the, the communion today uh, in knowing that God will return. Christ will return and save us and, and, and bring us into to full, complete relationship with him. So we continue to proclaim until Jesus has returned. I want to close with a, a story about a different boat. We talked about the ark a lot today and the flood, but I want to close with a, with a different story about a boat. This is a boat built many years later than what the ark was built originally. And I do think I need to do, uh, give credit where credit is due. Um, if you ever read the book Don't Waste Your Life by John Piper, um, you'll recognize it a little bit. So kind of got, got this from, from him. Uh, but the RMS Queen Mary was a cruise liner built in 1936. Uh, now it still lives. Uh, we, we still know where it is, unlike the Ark, but we still know where it is. It's, it sits in uh, Long Beach, California, in, in the port there. This was a luxury liner built uh, in the 1930s. 
and held room for about 30, sorry, 3,000 patrons and crew. It was a state-of-the-art place. It had two swimming pools on the boats. It had air-conditioned rooms. I didn't know they had air conditioning back then, let alone on a boat. But it had air-conditioned rooms. It had fine dining. It was elegance galore. Its use was for transporting people to the United States from Southampton, UK, to York City. It was a chance for, for people to ride in style on their voyage. It was a luxury liner. It was one of a kind at the time. It was the cream of the crop. But 1940, just a few years after its launch, the ship was used for, for something else. Originally, it was painted white and red and black. was now painted gray. The furniture and the decorations were removed. The large, luxurious beds were exchanged for three-tier bunks. Six miles of carpets taken out. Crystal, the china, and the silver stored in warehouses. And the ship was totally revamped. It became a war transporter for trips during World War II. A ship that once held 3,000 patrons in luxury will now hold more than 16,000 soldiers at a time. The ship would take soldiers from all over the world during World War II. It was fast, it could take a lot of people at a time, and it had a brand new job. It was once a luxury liner. It was now a wartime troop transporter. Once of elegance and luxury, now for war and its functionality. So how does that relate to all that we've discussed today? Knowing the wrath of God and the grace of God, are we going to live our lives like we are in war with the world? Or are we just going to coast in luxury and ease? Are we willing to step out and trust God in faith and truly believe what the Bible says about the lost and what the Bible says about the saved? Are we in wartime knowing that the enemy is at work, but knowing that we have a Savior who reigns over him? Remember, God holds the keys to salvation, not Satan. We believe that God is gracious to those who deserve wrath. We learned that today. So how could we, how could we exemplify a wartime faith in a church that pushes back darkness in the, in the culture and the world around us so that others could see the light, not in us, but ultimately in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, um, for this passage. We thank you for the difficulties of it. We thank you for what it shows us, the truth of the gospel, the truth of your grace. And Lord, we pray that this would move us to action, that it would move us to, to love people, it would move us to um, just have compassion on a lost and dying world. Lord, humble us before you. We need that. We are such prideful individuals. But we praise you that you desire to preserve life and to show grace to those who do not deserve it, including us in this room. God, we did deserve the 
the flood long before we deserved the ark. But thanks be to God, you have given the ark to some. So God, keep us humble. Keep us worshipful to you. Help us to praise you and to follow you every single day. We love you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.